Hello, I'm Sandy Burnett, back with another of my great moments in classical music here on RTE Lyric FM. One of the most original classical works of the 20th century is my subject this week, the Quatuor pour la fin du temps, the Quartet for the End of Time, by Olivier Messiaen. It's a serene and radiant spiritual meditation inspired by words of the New Testament book of Revelation, scored for an instrumental lineup of piano, violin, cello and clarinet. Even if all we had to consider was the music itself, this would be a fascinating piece to examine in detail. It treats some of music's most fundamental elements, speed, rhythm and scales, in a brilliantly original way. But just as remarkable as the music itself is the situation that produced it. The work was composed and premiered in circumstances of unimaginable hardship in a German prisoner of war camp in January 1941. That in itself is quite a challenging assumption. These days we often think of classical music being performed in comfortable concert halls, isolated from the concerns of everyday life. But this work was born in circumstances of real suffering. For years afterwards, when Messiaen was asked to talk about how he wrote the piece, his eyes would fill with tears. So as I'll be outlining today, this is a deeply personal work on two levels. Its starting point is the Bible, at a passage from the book of Revelations, which describes the seventh angel descending from heaven, clothed with a cloud, with a rainbow on his head, and a face like the sun. The angel announces that there should be time no longer, a phrase that Messiah took as his title. Before we look at the man himself and his peculiar outlook on music, this is how the quartet for the end of time gets underway. Messiah calls the first of its eight movements crystal liturgy. It's an extraordinary sound, so just to prepare your ears a little, there are two things going on at once here. High up in the texture, the clarinet and violin imitate the sound of birdsong, the calls of the blackbird and nightingale to be exact while underneath, the cello and piano each play a sequence of notes in fixed rhythmic patterns, a bit like two large wheels of different sizes moving at different speeds. It would take a couple of hours for the sequence of notes and rhythms to come full circle, but Messiaen gives us just a couple of minutes, only a glimpse of eternity.
the remarkable first movement of the quartet for the end of time, combining slow-moving rhythmic patterns with the high-pitched chatter of birdsong. The product of the imagination of Olivier Massin, who really was one of classical music's one-offs. He was born in 1908 in Avignon into a literary family. His mother was a poet and his father was an English teacher who translated the complete works of Shakespeare into French. Messiaen started to compose at the age of seven years old. When he was ten, he was given the score of Debussy's opera Pelleas et Mélisande, which had a profound effect on him. And the following year, that's at the age of just eleven, he started a distinguished course of study at the renowned Paris Conservatoire, after which the 1930s saw him take up the position of organist at La Trinité in Paris and begin two teaching appointments. At this time, the French capital was one of the richest and the most artistically exciting in Europe. Its nightclubs were buzzing with the sound of jazz, and its concert halls and theatres with the innovative classical compositions of Stravinsky, Poulenc and Dias Mio, each of them forging a new style of music that reflected the adrenaline of their surroundings. But you won't hear any of those outside influences in Messiaen's music. Instead of trying to reflect the world around him, Messiaen's music is a window into an inner spiritual world. For all of its innovation and brilliance, Messiaen's music was only a means to an end. Its ultimate aim was to direct people towards the truth of the Catholic faith. And despite everything that was happening to Messiaen at the time, this work is no different. When the Second World War broke out, Messiaen was called up, and it was as he was serving with the French forces in eastern France that the German army invaded and he was taken prisoner. He and other prisoners were herded into cattle trucks and taken by train eastwards right across Germany, ending up at the prison camp known as Stalag 8A in Görlitz in Silesia, right on the German-Polish border. Conditions were terrible. Prisoners of all nationalities were crammed in with several hundred to each tent, and those who were able-bodied were forced to work in nearby factories and farms. The winter of 1940 and 41 was bitterly cold, so the hardship must have been considerable. And yet, the prisoners did do what they could to make their existence bearable and civilised. They played football matches and organised a sort of university where they taught each other languages and history, and they converted one of the huts into a theatre. The unusual lineup of instruments in the quartet reflects the fact that Messiaen was writing for three other talented musicians who happened to be at Stalag 8A with him. There was Henri Akoka, a Jewish clarinetist from Algeria who had graduated with the first prize in clarinet from the Paris Conservatoire, a violinist by the name of Jean Le Bouler, and the cellist Étienne Pasquier with Messiaen on piano. Bearing in mind the complexity of this music, as we've already heard, you might expect the general prisoner of war population to feel alienated by it. After all, how could such rarefied music be relevant to them? But this wasn't so, according to Etienne Pasquier. They couldn't have been more committed. He remembered that the prisoners who had so little of their own organised a whip-round so that Pasquier could travel to a nearby town and buy a cello, rosin and bow. And when he came back with the instrument, the prisoners actually wept with joy. These were men from all walks of life, farmers, factory workers, intellectuals, professional servicemen, doctors and priests.
Although legend has it that the Quartet for the End of Time was premiered outdoors, in fact, it was in that theatre, before an audience of about 350 prisoners and German guards and officers, that the first performance took place. Messier might have got the figures wrong in his imagination. He claimed the audience was ten times as big as it actually was. But there can surely be no arguing with the effect the music he said had on those listeners. Remembering that premiere, Messier later said, Never have I been heard with as much attention and understanding. The fourth movement of that piece was the first to be written. The piano is silent in this movement, which features the other three instrumentalists. And of all the eight movements in the work, this interlude is the most energetic. Not only were the prisoners transfixed by the music, but the German guards and officers were too. For them, having such a well-known figure as Messiaen in the camp was something of a coup, and Messiaen was granted some privileges that other prisoners didn't have, which made him feel rather guilty. Even so, this was still far from a cushy number. Messiaen himself had the most basic clothes to wear. He was dressed in the tattered green uniform of a Czech soldier, with outsized wooden clogs to wear on his feet, poor protection from the bitterly cold weather. Food was scarce, and Messia was half-starved. And this brings us on to another remarkable aspect of the quartet for the end of time's story. That winter, Messia began to see coloured lights in the sky, which he thought were hallucinations brought on by how malnourished he was. But then it was pointed out to him that what he was seeing was a display of the northern lights, which unusually were visible in that part of the world. They only appear in Silesia about once a decade. Either way, the experience of seeing the lights must have found their way into the composition, which is remarkably colourful and luminous in itself. 
One unusual feature of the quartet is that, as we've heard, not all of the instruments play in each movement. In fact, Messiaen rings the changes quite a lot over the course of the eight movements. The third is scored for solo clarinet, a remarkably spacious and spiritual piece. This is one of the earliest to be written. Messiaen wrote it for Henri Akoka as a present, as they were transported east under German guard in those cattle trucks. Again, it's amazing that circumstances of such hardship should produce music as beautiful as this. And inventive too. Although played by just one instrument, the range of the piece is tremendous. On one hand, Messiaen portrays an abyss where time passes slowly, full of tedium and sadness. Was he thinking of his imminent incarceration here? And on the other, he depicts once again birds, which reflect our desire for light and the transformative power of song.
We can hear from that what a distinctive grasp of harmony Messiaen had. This is music with a tonal centre, but it doesn't use the major and minor scales that we're used to in the traditional harmonic system. Instead, Messiaen comes up with sequences of notes which are similar to scales but which behave in a different way. In particular, what he called modes of limited transposition, which could be moved up by a semitone only a limited number of times before the original mode reappears. Messiaen took a similarly radical approach to rhythm in his hands, not something to drive a composition along with the momentum of a Beethoven or a Wagner, for example. For him, rhythm is liberated from having to provide a pulse. Instead, Messiaen would enrich a succession of beats by adding a tiny note value or taking one away. This is another level of the meaning of the work's title. The end of time also refers to the way the piece breaks down the traditional strictures of rhythm. It's in the sixth movement that I think we can hear this most clearly. Messiaen calls it Dance of Fury for the Seven Trumpets. It's the little rhythmic units that Messiaen adds in, combined with those distinctive scales, that gives this piece its special tang. And it's all the clearer here because from beginning to end, Messiaen gives the melody to all four instruments dancing in unison.
Several of the German officers charged to detain the prisoners were sympathetic to Messier and the other musicians. One guard by the name of Karl Albert Brühl in particular, he spoke fluent French and was a lawyer in civilian life, he provided Messier with pencils and music paper, got him excused from other work in the camp and made an empty barracks available to him so that the composer could get to work, posting a guard on the door to make sure that Messier was undisturbed. Given that each of the men had played their part in one of 20th century music's most remarkable premieres, it's interesting to chart their progress thereafter, and it's a story shaded with sadness. After the premiere, Brühl helped the musicians escape by using a stamp made from a potato to forge documents for them. After the war, he made a special trip to visit the composer he'd helped, but when he arrived at the door, Messier refused to let him in. A coca managed eventually to return to France, but never made contact with Messier again, possibly because the composer didn't speak out to save Akoka's father from being arrested and sent to his death in Auschwitz, even though he was in a position of influence in Paris at the time. As for the violinist Jean Le Boulard, he switched career and became an actor under the name Jean Lanier, acting in the Alain René film last year at Marienbad and many other films. When asked why he didn't keep in touch with the other musicians from the premiere, Jean Le Boulard replied simply, our friendship in the prison camp was very amicable, but afterwards everyone resumed his life. It was only the cellist Etienne Pesquier who kept the Messier connection. After the war, he established a strong reputation as a distinguished chamber musician. In May 1992, a month after Messiaen's death, he introduced a memorial performance of the quartet in Compiègne to the north of Paris. By that time, he was 87 years old. What about Messiaen himself and his involvement in this work? Well, if there's a parallel with another composer, for me, it's Johann Sebastian Bach. Just as Bach did in his sacred cantatas, Messiaen takes a biblical text and adds a special spiritual insight by means of music. Just like Bach, Messiaen is not afraid to reuse or adapt music he'd already written for another context. The two movements called Louange, or Hymns of Praise, for example, were adapted from two works he'd written in Paris in the 30s. And a third parallel is Messiaen's interest in numbers as form, something that also fascinated the older German composer. This work has eight movements, the first seven to represent the seven days in which God created the earth, and the eighth to represent time stretching into infinity. This last movement is especially slow and serene, for violin and piano only, and I'll end with an extract from it now. Despite the privations Messia endured when he wrote the work, this piece reaches far beyond everyday reality into the spiritual realm which for him was so important. As Messiaen said, I composed this quartet in order to escape from the snow, from the war, from captivity and from myself. 